Welcome to Carson Chatter, a podcast focused on Carson City, the people who shape it, and the real estate that defines it. I'm Sina Lloyd, here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Garrett Lapierre. In addition to another great guest interview, we'll be chatting about the going-ons at the Carson City Library and all the relevant info on the local real estate market. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Carson Chatter. We're with this week's guest, Sheriff Furlong. Thank, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yes, thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started in your career in law enforcement. You know, I, I, my hopes and dreams and, and, and all of those visions really started at a very early age. Um, my father was a police officer in Carson City back when it had the Carson City Police Department and the Ornsby County Sheriff's Office. Um, I, in fact, grew up just feet away from the currently existing jail. Uh, and I remember uh, back when, when I was about six years old, it was, it was a summer day, it was nice, the weather was beautiful, the sun was shining, and I remember the sheriff and my father coming to the house. And the sheriff back then was Bob Humphrey, and, and I looked at him and it was like, this guy's image was larger than light to me. And, and, and I watched them talking. I remember standing in the yard underneath the willow tree, and, and it was just, oh my God, I have got to be the sheriff one day. This is the greatest thing that, that, that ever happened to me, that one moment in life. Um, ironically, uh, never told him about that uh, until after I became the sheriff, uh, probably just, just months before he passed away. Uh, his his it, the, the vision I have of, of him, the image I had, it dictated how I grew up in life. Right, right. It, it gives you, it, well, and to be able to have a life goal like that and then accomplish it, I mean, mm-hmm. how cool is that? It, it was, and, and again, my, my father continued on with his career. He became the undersheriff when Carson City and, and Ornsby County combined into a municipality. Then I graduated from high school, and, and all, all my sights were set on the Carson City Sheriff's Office. That's all I ever wanted. Uh, but I was too young yeah. <laughs> and, and immature, call it that, um, uh, so I enrolled in WNCC. Um, courses were even expensive then. And uh, uh, so at a point I decided, you know, I, I'm, I was working for the fire department as a dispatcher, and, and I decided, you know, I'm going to go in the military, get some education, get some experience, grow up a little bit, um, and, and then come back when, when the time was ready. Uh, but the military just, uh, um, I, I had such a, a, um, uh, a fantastic time while in. Not only did I get to do the things that I wanted to do, I got the education um, kind of at the expense of the military uh, because it, <laughs> it, it's offered there. Uh, I was able to go through and get my bachelor's degree in criminal justice, uh, which was beyond what I intended. But once I achieved that, and this is what I like to tell especially younger folks, doors opened in that career field of law enforcement that I didn't even know existed. I had this focus of working for the Carson City Sheriff's Office and being a police officer, but once that education level was achieved, then it started, well, you can do this, and you can do this, and you can do this, and and I took one of those doors, and, and I started working with the Office of Special Investigations as a major crimes investigator. 
and and life just took off and, and me and the family we got to travel the world um, see all sorts of things get the get that fulfillment of, of working in a law enforcement career field and it was just fantastic yeah. so you, awesome. you, so you've you've worked for you work for NDI yeah what other places have have you hung your hat in the law enforcement area um, after I retired from the military in 98 I really wasn't you know you, you I'm fitting into that well wow I'm 39 years old and I'm retired. <laughs> um, after after several months uh, watching it snow outside, um, I had an opportunity to go uh, work with uh, Nevada Parole and Probation, um, and, I, and I jumped at that. Um, I worked there for a few years, and then uh, uh, an opening came up over at um, uh, the Division of Investigations, and and uh, you know I, I I put in for it. But I remember telling my wife, my wife and I, just as, as the job got offered to me to go back into major crimes, my wife and I stood out in front of the house and, and we, there was so much satisfaction, human satisfaction in working for parole and probation because you're working with people one-on-one -on -one right. that are struggling through their circumstances and you hope that they will get back on their feet, um, uh, put the past in the past and go forward. Right. And... and even though I had these lifelong ambitions to, to be the sheriff and work for the sheriff's office, I, I, I tell you, leaving parole and probation was probably one of the most difficult decisions I've ever made. Then I ran for sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was a tough decision, too. Um, it, 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 running for sheriff was not a tough decision. It was a very simple one. Um, uh, again, I had the ambitions all along in my life. Um, but uh, there came a point in 2002 um, when I, I believed that the, the sheriff who was in office at the time, Mr. Bannister, was not going to run for re-election. Um, and I, I, you know, coming up in a very structured life, law enforcement, military, all of these things, um, I, I, I saw that as an opportunity where it was not going to disrupt things. Right. You're not running against the boss. You're uh, you're not throwing the agency upside down. So really it was an optimal window that took place a little bit earlier in my later career, if you want to call it that, than I had anticipated. Um, I, I, I have said if Mr. Bannister had run uh, for a third term, I probably would not have. But knowing that he was going to vacate the office was that fed my decision and that made it easy. Okay, so um, speaking of being sheriff, how long have you been sheriff and what is the thing that you've been most proud of accomplishing during your tenure so uh, far? Well, uh, I've been the sheriff for, this will uh, be the 16th year um, and, and obviously everyone knows that I'm, I'm running again for re-election. Um, that in and of itself has, has been a tremendous accomplishment. Uh, I, I think that, that the agency has grown uh, toward many of the visions that I, that I wanted to pursue back before I became the sheriff. Uh, I, I, I grew up in that agency where these officers were the, the, the bigger-than-icon images in town. Um, they were loved, and they, they, they were family, and they, and they meant so much. So many good feelings came out of that. And, and I believed that we had lost sight of that, and I wanted to bring that back. Um, 
the officers today, I, I think one of the, the um, best feelings I have is that they are very truly compassionate people. Uh, and that's difficult because much of the contact that we have with the public is negative. Right. Mm-hmm. Much of it is. Um, and along the path, um, through, through many of the sheriff's organizations nationally, I began to learn more and more about that negative consequence that we create on our own. And, and so uh, shortly after I became the sheriff, we set out on building a new, new facility, which was long overdue. And, and one of the concepts that was presented in the construction of law enforcement agencies, buildings, was you need to reconnect with your community, which came right back to the core of why I wanted to become the sheriff. I wanted that connection between law enforcement and the community and, and realized that if the only time you have public, uh, contact with the public is in a negative consequence, then that's the, the view that you or the relationship that you will have. It's interesting because as we built the building or were preparing to build the building, one of the concepts was put it across from Mills Park where the kids are. Put it in a place where people are happy and where you can exchange ideas and talk and have fun together. That's the Carson City that I grew up in, and I think that's the direction that I've been trying to take it. Um, We're the law enforcement agency, yes, but it's this town, it's the community, it's the families, it's the businesses that make this place thrive and and make it so, so happy. Right. Right. Well, and what I've always found found fascinating, no other elected official, for the, you know, maybe here or there it happens, but no other elected official really has to run against people that they work with. Right. Or, or have people that they work with run against them. And I've always found that to be a very interesting dynamic. And, and, and you know, and you talked about waiting for the right time when the previous sheriff was going to step down and do those kind of things. Um, you know, I know, I know this time that's not the case, but, um, you know, I think, I think the department um, and your leadership has, has brought the department through some of those, you know, tougher elections when, you know, you've had, you know, your employees, if you will, running against you. You know, um, we talk about growing up and, and how all of the things affect you. Uh, my father was the undersheriff, and um, I believe, and maybe I'm a little tainted, but I do believe uh, that he was he was a very popular undersheriff. And uh, I asked him one day, shortly before he passed away, I asked him, I said, Dad, why, why did you never run for sheriff? And his, his response to me just blew me away. He said, number one, he said, I never wanted to be the sheriff. And he said, number two, you work for the person that you want to work for. If you don't want to work for him, leave the organization. Right. It's that simple. And and his allegiance to Sheriff Humphrey, that icon that I had, impacted me so, so, so very, very heavily. So it falls right back into that window of opportunity because I, I really, truly believe... Um, that Rod Bannister was a great sheriff. Mm-hmm. It was my turn, and the window was there where I would not have to run against somebody that was the incumbent. And and, and it's it it's the least traumatic for the organization. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. In, in two thousand two was was when you first ran for office. Was your first term? I, I ran in two thousand two and was sworn in in two thousand three. <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, you know, one of the big things, not just here, but nationally, has been the, op- the opioid epidemic. 
how has it affected our city and what kind of things is the is your office doing to help combat that? You know, <coughs> excuse me, the um, the epidemic is, is truly a drug epidemic all the way across this country. Um, and, and for all of the methamphetamines, the heroines, the, all of these drugs that that we find on the streets and, and everybody commonly hears to, it, it is also well known that the, the prescription drugs, um, in a, this prescription drug abuse in America, it, it is so much larger than all the rest. Correct. Um, and truly that, that, that probably has its roots in pain. Um, pain being mental, pain being physical. Um, opioids is a, is a major response for us right now. Uh, we are working with the Attorney General's Office, um, uh, Health and Human Services, and other organizations in our response to that. Um, we, we see overdoses being uh, accidental um, or intentional um, as, as, as something that we can collaborate with and, and uh, pursue to, to greater means to prevent those, those losses of life. But, but it is a challenge. Mm -hmm. It is a challenge, and it's uh, in this little community it's not the number one uh, way that people that we lose lives in this town, but it's there. And when you elevate it to uh, our little piece on the national scale, it's something that we all truly need to engage in. Right. Right. I know I have a, a few good friends that are um, on the uh, um, EMT firefighters, and you know one of their main tools in their tool belt is Narcan. And, you know, and that's scary. It's it's unfortunately it's a sign of the times. Um, it's with them. Uh, our officers carry it as well, um, both for their own protection as well as um, uh, helping out people that that are in need. Right. Uh, it's it's a change of the times for sure. Yeah, so, so with that, um, what challenges does mental health also play um, for your department, and what programs have you um, instituted to help combat those issues as well in our community? I, I, I differ from a lot of people in, in, in that, that I say that mental health is probably the single biggest challenge for law enforcement anywhere. Right. Um, I, again, I can go all the way back to prehistoric times. Uh, the issue of... of um, uh, domestic violence, okay, uh, long been a major uh, contributor of violence towards officers and, and within families. Uh, yeah. um, and at the core of that, you'll probably find a mental health issue, uh, mental health or substance abuse issue. Um, it has escalated, and, and now we, we are faced with um, daily, and that, that's an exaggeration, daily events of shootings across America, um, uh, individuals, uh, acting out in such ways that are just absolutely unacceptable. And on, in virtually every case, we can trace it back to some level of crisis in that person's life. Right. Uh, and I use the word crisis intentionally uh, because we all have our mental health issues. I'm not going to be a fireman because I'm not going to get up on that ladder because I'm going to freeze to death up there <laughs> and I'm not going to be able to move a, a, a muscle. Right. It's my phobia. Mm -hmm. um, we all have our issues. Some people cannot break away from them, and they fall into crisis. My philosophy, and I've, and I've long spoken about this, is um, mental health and, and law enforcement need to come closer and closer together uh, without violating people's privacy that will better protect our communities. Mm -hmm. um, our biggest concerns uh, in, in this community, of course, everyone knows that we suffered the IHOP uh, mass shooting. 
we have an, a number of schools here in this community. We've added officers into our schools, uh, and, and everyone's doing a great job. But identifying a person who is approaching crisis is what we uh, uh, strive to do. And you asked about, you know, one of the what are some of the, your biggest accomplishments? And I think this is one of them. We have long been um, treating with our uh, forensic assessment teams in the jail for mental health. We now have outreach, uh, mobile outreach in our police cars on the streets. And the whole intent is to be able to get to the person before that crisis rises to the level of death. And, and that's very important, whether you talk about the opioids or you talk about weapons, you talk about any of these things. If I can get you away from the target of your anger or your pain and deal with this crisis at a lower level, the possibility exists that I can get resources to you that will prevent that tragedy from ever occurring. I don't want to take on the school shooter at the school. I want to address the issue at home with the family and work through the problem. Great point. Great point. And, you know, I know in my own little personal experience of, of dealing with, with mental health, you know, there's there's one case in particular that, that stands out to me and um, someone that I've, that I've known very well. Yeah, I mean, they have a child that, um, and he's not not child anymore. You know, he's, he's, he's a grown man, more than a grown man. Uh, but he had mental health issues and continues to have mental health issues, although things are much better than they were. Um, and we had a long conversation one day, and I said, you know, why don't you reach out and get him help? Why don't you do this? And the answer was, and this is no knock on anybody, you know, the answer was, I don't want him to, I don't want them to throw him in a cell and, and throw away the key. And, 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 you know, there was the stigma around how to do that. And I realized that that's not it's probably going to happen. It's amazing that you said it that way, because that goes right back to why I wanted to become that sheriff. If the only contact you have with the police is, they're going to put my son in jail and throw the key away. That's not help. Correct. That's not help. Correct. And, and so there has to be a stronger relationship with the community that law enforcement, paramedics, um, the social services, all of these entities are designed to help you. Challenge somebody to break away from that lifelong concept that they've learned is, is the biggest issue. Mm -hmm. um, second to that is, and, and we've had many, many cases of this, in our after-action responses, families just not knowing there were resources for their particular issues. If I had known, I would have reached out. Yep. Yep. It's that, it's that, it's that marketing, and, and you know, it's, it's hard for a private business to market their self and get their word out there. You know, it's even harder for the government agencies because mm -hmm. they're focused on providing that service. Yes. So how many of the calls yeah, that your department goes on deal with either mental health or drugs? And of those calls, how many of those, repeat offender I guess is, is maybe not the best term, but how many of those same people do you deal with on a monthly basis for those type of calls? I, I can have fun here on the radio because I don't have a book in front of me. And, <laughs> and I'm not going to bore everybody with, well, in October we had 223. <laughs> We're not going to do that. Um, I... We have mechanisms in place where we monitor our activities um, very, very closely um, electronically so that we can identify problems as they pop up and so on. 
Um, there's an old adage, and I believe it's true today, um, but for drugs, alcohol, and mental health, you'd put law enforcement out of business. Those are primarily the, the core issues whenever we go somewhere. Um, because I think most people actually do get along. Even, uh, even in strife, they actually do get along. But you start adding these other components, these unpredictable components, and that's when they become explosive. Um, on a daily basis, uh, you're probably looking at about 60% or more of our call base is drug, alcohol, or mental health involved. Uh, certainly, your more uh, dramatic cases, the, those, those statistics are very, very low. In other words, it would be much higher. Um, it, it's tragic. Um, I know we get we turn on the TV and, and we go, oh, he was such a nice neighbor. I would never expect. Well, you know, the fact of the matter is, most people already know. They know through the internet. They know through conversations. Uh, he's a recluse person. He would never say hello. He would never talk to me. Uh, I just thought he was the perfect neighbor <laughs> because back in the day we knew our neighbors. Great. Today, we don't want to know our neighbors. You can't even name the people that live around you. <laughs> yep. We've become a little bit of an antisocial society, and and so yeah, uh, we, much of what we deal with is frustration, crisis, achieving or reaching a, a, a level where you call the police, and and the response that I would give back is, if that's when we are called, that crisis is so far out of control, it's going to be virtually impossible to turn it around in a short term. Correct. Correct. And I, I want to say, you know, with the library, thank you to yourself and the deputies because, you know, we'll call for a walkthrough because it's not yet a crisis. Exactly. And they'll come and they de-escalate the situation. Isn't, isn't that the way the world's supposed to be? Let's address the problems before they mm -hmm. become problems. Right. Um, and, and, and the officers, every one of them, I, I tell you, I, uh, I, I look at each one of them and how they do their job, and I get feedback all the time. Uh, about how caring and wonderful they handled a certain circumstance or took care of somebody or got them to a gas station or whatever the mm -hmm. case is. Um, it's, it, it, it warms me because it goes back to the way I thought this town was, it was mm -hmm. how this town got here. Right. It's people working together and living together. And, and uh, yeah, you say you can't do anything in this little town without everybody in town knowing it. Well, that's kind of a good thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I had a circumstance up on the um, up on the hills, and I remember telling the, the victim of the circumstance, you know, in the good old days, a bunch of guys down at the bar would get in their trucks, and they come up, and they'd get you out of trouble. And, and we got the gentleman uh, to a hotel, and by God, the next morning, a bunch of guys in town had gotten in a bunch of trucks. They happened to be our search and rescue crews. We didn't call them. They went up, and they just did it, and they just took care of this visitor from town. And, and that's, 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 God, it just warms me. Mm -hmm. Right. And in, 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 I'm not surprised by, you know, the percentage of those calls that, you know, deal with drugs or mental health issues. Do you see a lot of those calls being people that you've dealt with before? Um, in most, most cases, it's just a revolving door. Um, and uh, because the simple truth of the matter is this, um, drug addictions, alcohol addictions, mental health issues, they don't go away. Correct. We can treat them and we can work with them uh, all. Mm -hmm. You hear of the guy who, uh, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I haven't had a drink in 20 years. But did you hear what he said first? I'm an alcoholic. These things don't go away. 
um, their feelings inside. And, and so they, for the few that, that, and that's not the few, for the ones that get locked into that hole, it becomes increasingly difficult to get out of it. Uh, in fact, uh, as, as I was hired at parole and probation, uh, one of the first briefings I, I got was from my supervisor there. Uh, and he said, you know, he says, it's not a, the parole and probation is not about arresting everybody who reoffends. Sometimes lapsing, alcohol and drug addictions, is a part of recovery. It took me a while to, to really embrace that concept. Failures come along in life all the time. Each one of those failures doesn't have to be a crisis travesty, okay? It can be a part of a recovery. And, and so, uh, yeah, it, we see a lot of folks over and over and over again. And I like to say we hardly ever see somebody the first time. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so looking forward, what is the biggest challenge for Carson City? And in the future, when it comes to, and I quote, fighting crime, <laughs> as they like to say. Good, I get to be a crime fighter. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, there's, there's several different perspectives to the question to give a response. Uh, I can tell you straight up, uh, uh, the challenge that I face every single day is to safeguard our kids in the schools. That's number one. Uh, and, and we will go to no ends to, to see that that happens. And uh, we have a wonderful school district that, uh, for the entire time I've been the sheriff, has been so engaged with us. I, I, I love them to death. Mr. Stokes, the superintendent, and I, we talk all of the time. Anytime one situation happens, we're calling each other to make sure we're all aware. It's a big family. Um, safeguarding those schools is a challenge. Below that level, because that's what that's what people see. Correct. They see the the closed campus or that buzz to get in door. Okay. Uh, below that level is how do you achieve it, and and that's where law enforcement is going. And I and I truly do believe that mental health is that core. Um, even when I was graduating up through college and and establishing my career, uh, I have a criminal justice degree. That's really nice. You could be a cop. Um, but even back then, law enforcement career field was changing and recognizing that we're, in many cases, more of a social worker than anything else. I get it. You were weaving. You're drunk. You're .50 drunk crazy, okay? But we're social workers. We're always engaging a problem and looking for opportunities to resolve that. Mental health is the biggest single challenge. Uh, along that path, it's retraining an entire industry of law enforcement all the way across this country. How can we disengage from the way we've always done it and come at it from a different approach? Realizing that you're more afraid of me than I am of you. And that that fear may cause you to do something that everyone else is going to believe is criminal, but in fact it's just an escape. Um, and I've experienced this very often on the street, watching or engaged myself, where we need to back off a little bit here, because the guy is afraid. 
And now we're here because the family has called. Maybe he's tore up the house a little bit. I don't remember one where he slashed all the car tires. <laughs> but there, here's car and his tires. Right. But he's more afraid of us than we are of him. Right. Why do we need to escalate it? Is there a better way? So we retrain. Uh, we in Carson City, we have been retrained, retraining our officers. Uh, it, this is going to sound redundant, but it's not. Uh, for about oh, ten years into crisis intervention. That's what you see in the library. It's those officers mm -hmm. being able to see with their eyes, is this person okay or is it there uh, an escalating issue here? Um, and then as we get them initially trained, we do reoccurring training all the time. And then when it rises above that officer level, then I can call in that mobile outreach team mm -hmm. and come in and sit down with this person who maybe is homeless and has some issues and offer out some assistance. We have some great success stories in this town, by the way, mm -hmm. where that outreach and that step process has worked very, very well. Because the goal is to reduce the amount that are inside the jails, right. jails and prisons. Right. If you can reduce those mental health patients that are being incarcerated in jails, emergency rooms, and prisons, then you can really reduce the cost on, on communities to prevent some of these things from happening. Right, right. Well, and, and any problem in life that you're trying to fix, you know, being open open to what the actual problem is, and, so, and that's why it's so heartening to hear, you know, you talk about these mental health issues and drug issues because you understand that that's the issue. It's not that he's a bad person or that they're a criminal. You understand that, hey, they were going through a tough time in life or they have a condition. You know, it, it, it's amazing the <coughs> amount of times we say, Look at this inmate over here. He, he's a model inmate. It's, it's, it's interesting. You take away these external factors, the drugs, the alcohol, sometimes the mental health issues. Right. Um, and, and when I say you take them away, you set them aside over here. They're inside of an institution such as a jail. They're getting three square meals a day. They're getting all the sleep that they're supposed to get on a regular recurring basis. They're in a structured environment. This comes at this time. This comes at that time. And all of a sudden, they're model citizens. And you look at them as you have with the females that, that have helped out down at the library and go, why are you even in jail? Mm -hmm. I believe, I believe structure in a person's life is very, very beneficial. Great. No matter what you do, or how you do it, or your status in life. Um, structure provides opportunities. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, and I love telling this story because I was at a high school meeting one night, and it was I was coming out about 8 o'clock in the whole high school. It's pretty dim because most of the lights are off. And it's this big, great big... Um, bulletin board up and the students were posting with a post-it a word it said across the top I'm thankful for and the students would write down ah, family put it up ah, my car put it up and I stopped and I started reading it and, and the amount of kids that said I'm thankful for accountability I was amazed by it our kids are telling us something mm -hmm. they love structure yep and they work very well in structure but we have to hold to it Instructure creates consistency. Yes. And, and consistency is what creates a good human being, I think, in my opinion. Another way of putting it, that structure creates expectations. Right. Now, if I have expectations, I have visions of the future. 
And it's usually when those things fall off that people fall off. Um, we've all, you know, suffered through family losses. Right. It's devastating, okay? But having things in your life that stay consistent and everything is wonderful and it's springtime and the flowers are coming up, everything is consistent, it's structured, it works. Correct. It's when the structure falls off and the unexpected happens and many people fall out and that's unfortunate. When the last question I want to ask you is, 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 is kind of a hypothetical. The last question is always the one that we were holding to get you. <laughs> if you had an unlimited checkbook, what would be the thing or the purchase that you would make that would be the biggest benefit to help the city in dealing with fighting crime? Great question. I can give you the great answer because I've said it a hundred times. If you ever want to put me in a corner and beat me up, give me all the money I want. Right. The, the needs of this community are very, very large. There's not one section that I would invest in. Um, unlimited checkbook. Well, let's get more cops. Well, that's really nice, but does that really resolve anything? Incidentally, I will tell you, the more activities, and, and this goes to the, the more activities that take place in a community, the lower crime goes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, this past weekend, we had safe grad. There was graduation day for mm-hmm. the high school. Yep. We had Pioneer High the week, be, uh, just I think it was Thursday night the week before. We had graduation Saturday morning. Uh, we had a fair in town. We had a circus in town. We had events going on out of Fuji Park. We had our kickoff we for had our your summer kickoff. program. Yeah. We had, um, oh, what do you want to call it, the um, uh, the rendezvous uh, yep. days over in the park. There were so many activities going on, and I worked in an entire weekend. We were ready for any problem. Nothing happened. <laughs> it's not about money. Um, I, I think that, that I do aspire to um, a, a, a commission that really dates back to the 60s, um, that investing in your community is the best investment you can ever make. When you give people reasons to have fun in life, then you automatically create public safety. I'm going to be here. I'm going to have a job to do. Uh, I would like more officers, yes, and, and I'll be going to the board to speak to them about that shortly. Um, I would like to ensure the welfare of our officers by staffing it out more appropriately. Um, I would like a, a larger uh, victim's advocacy within the sheriff's office. I would like to advance, um, and we have grants in right now, that would uh, support um, further mobile outreach towards mental health, um, creating a full-time position within the department. Um, I would like to marry up our um, uh, responses with state responses because I think we're all in this together. Um, the, the The possibilities are endless. I would love to have a parade downtown every day because when this community's happy, law enforcement activities tend to go down. It's much like snow. When it snows, we get bored, mm-hmm. but for traffic accidents. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I, 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 I've long said the worst thing you could do to me as sheriff is say, here's a checkbook, you can have anything you want. Right. Oh, my God. 
I, it just would not work for me. Right. I think there has to be a methodical approach to it. And um, the fact of the matter is commissions have been done all the way across this country forever. And it's not the size of your law enforcement organization. It's your approach to the community. Mm-hmm. And that when you engage the two together and they become supportive of one another, and they realize how they grow together, then you end up with the most positive communities in the country. And it's a long-term investment. I think that's to, to really get to the point. It, this is not something that you start because you had an incident. Uh, there was a police brutality incident, so we're going to create um, community policing. If you do not invest in your community up front long-term, then shame on you when you need that community's help because you had a misfit. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I've, I've, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I agree a thousand percent with what you said, and, and we've talked about this, you know, between ourselves and, and with guests on this show before. Uh, the more activities and opportunities you can offer these kids, you know, if you're playing baseball, you're not getting in trouble. If you're playing basketball, you're not getting in trouble. It's, it's family engagement, and I, and I love putting it this way. I, I've taken my kids to the graduation. We went over to the park, uh, stopped by the library, and went downtown for the brew fest on Carson Street. They had a car show over here. I'm exhausted. I'm going to go home. And I'm mm-hmm. just going to enjoy a TV show and go to bed. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Isn't that what a community is all about? Right. And right. and uh, yeah, it, it, it Carson City has done extraordinarily well in balancing its approaches. Um, do we have challenges? We do, and we will always have. Correct. Um, but I think that that our approach. Uh, here in Carson is unique, and I get a chance to talk to legislators sometimes, people from around the state, other sheriffs. I think that sometimes we don't realize how blessed we are because we're sitting right in the middle of it. We just don't see. Um, and, and I would end, the, end it with this. I asked the city to allow the sheriff's office to participate in a uh, uh, efficiency study several years back. And they they, they, they said they wouldn't. They had a guy come up from Southern California to look specifically at the organization of the sheriff's office. Right. And so I had a chance to have dinner with him. My wife and I went out and sat down. And he said, you know, he says, I've been in town for about 24 hours. And he says, I don't see graffiti. I don't see thugs. He says, you're screwing yourself, sheriff. There's <laughs> nothing here that's that's distracting to the visitors, the tourists, or the residents. That's an outsider's point of view. And I think that's what's very, very attractive to Carson. And sometimes we don't realize it enough because we're sitting in the middle of it. Very true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, and, and, and to wrap up my thoughts on this on my end, you know, for what I do on a daily basis, you know, I, I'm a salesman for the city. You know, I show off the city to locals and, and, and to people that are coming here from out of state. And the thing that get, is very underappreciated that the sheriff's office does is you raise property values on a daily basis because there is no graffiti. And because, you know, when people say, what's the crime rate like? You know, I want to point them to a website and not answer that question directly, but <laughs> but, but at, at, at the end of the day, I can say, you know, we don't have a bunch of murders. We don't have a bunch of armed robberies. You know, sure, we have some petty crime thefts or, you know, property thefts, things like that. But when you look at, at us compared to any other city in this region, I think we're a pretty darn safe community. I, I think we're pretty pretty squared away. I really do. Yeah. Um, this is a town where you can walk into just about any office 
You can just walk into the quarry. You can walk in and see the... For a capital city, you could just walk into the uh, the state capital and not go through a metal detector. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something that we in Nevada are proud of. Mm-hmm. We're very, very proud of that. Um, our arms are not down defenseless, but our arms are open, welcoming. Well, and I mean, you know, I see a deputy and I'm waving at them. I'm like, hi, how are you doing? He better wave back. If he doesn't, Most you let me know. Sometimes they're like preoccupied. They, they have a lot, they have like, a lot to do and, and they do a tremendous job. I, there is, I look up to every single one of them. And, and I'll wrap you with this, right? just how it started. I look up to every single one of these officers today, just as I did it when I was a child. I, 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 I get the pleasure because I'm the sheriff. I get to go out. I get to do these things. But more than anything else, I just want to watch them do it. They're heroes. Mm-hmm. When all the chips are down, who do you call? Right. And they do the very best they can of putting the pie back together that just fell on the floor. It's not going to be perfect, but they do the very best that they can. Without a doubt. Thank you for the conversation. Really Thank enjoyed you. it. Thanks Thank for you. coming I in. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Carson Chatter. You can subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud apps to get new episodes as they are uploaded. Once you've subscribed, please leave a review as it makes it easier for people to find the podcast. Please engage with us via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by simply searching for Carson Chatter. You can also email us at carsonchatterpodcast at gmail.com. See you again soon, and please don't forget to tell a friend about this podcast.